Hey, good morning. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Art, and I'm the old pastor around here. All right? So, <laughs> hey, um, not, not too long ago, my bride, um, it was a couple weeks ago, she came to me and said, uh, hey, I just read an article, um, you know, that was posted on the internet that said uh, on Thanksgiving, the average person will ingest 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving Day. 4,500 calories. And I thought, well, that, you know, it's, that sounds like an exaggeration. And so I, I said, I better, I better check this out. And so what I did was I did some of my own research, and I found out that there actually does exist, okay, a group called the Council on Calorie Consumption. The Council on Calorie Consumption. Now, I couldn't find them. I have no idea who they are, where they are, where they hang out, you know, in a galaxy far, far away. I don't, I don't know. But the, the Council on Calorie Consumption says that we will, on the average, take in 4,500 calories a day, and it won't all be just the turkey. And, so, and they gave a breakdown of it. They gave a breakdown of it. So I want to give you the breakdown. Um, we'll, on the average, ingest 240 calories in mashed potatoes, 150 calories in green bean casserole, and I don't know who would bother with that, all right? G green bean casserole is the, ugh. Okay, <laughs> a 560 in pie, 350 in stuffing and cranberries, 320 candied sweet potatoes, 300 in rolls and butter, 150 in gravy, only 240 in turkey, 400 in beverages, soda, wine, and beer, 350 in salads and dressings, and 600 in appetizers, chips, nuts, dips, and the like. And, and so what does the, calorie, the Council on Calorie Consumption say? Here's what they say. They say that there is a way, and, and, and I want to give you the quote, to do mindful eating on Thanksgiving. All right? Mindful eating is the opposite of what we traditionally think of on Thanksgiving. They say, consciously choosing what you want to eat, eating it slowly, savoring each bite. It's not about as much as you can eat. Mindful eating teaches you it's perfectly fine to have your favorite slice of pie if you just make room for it. Now, I don't think the Council on Calorie Consumption is all that wise. Because they have never seen us on Thanksgiving, right? These are not real people, all right? I think it's completely bogus and fictitious. And, and my uh, encouragement to you is don't mindfully eat on Thanksgiving. However, if you want to break from tradition, I thought what I'd do is I would take the calories council, the council on calorie consumption's advice, and and if we were to eat mindfully, what would that look like? What would it look like? What would it look like on Thanksgiving? And what would it look like on a Sunday, when we all maybe shared in communion together? What would mindful eating look like? And so, so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to kind of set a table of mindful eating for us that you can apply today, and, and hopefully in some fashion you can apply it on Thursday when you get together with whomever you get together with and share a Thanksgiving meal. 
And, and so the passage I want to I begin with comes from Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> and, it, and it has to do with uh, Jesus asking his disciples uh, to go prepare the Passover meal, which, which was an annual tradition. Um, it, the Passover meal was the annual celebration of the nation of Israel celebrating their release from bondage in Egypt, um, and God commanded them way back when to celebrate this Passover meal and what that Passover meal would look like. And, and so Jesus, in keeping with tradition, uh, tells his disciples to go to the city of Jerusalem, and he tells two of his disciples to Run in, they'll run into a man that's carrying a, a jug of water and they're supposed to follow that man with a jug of water to a particular house and then when they get to that particular house they're supposed to ask the master of the house if they can use the upper room so that they can set up the Passover meal for Jesus and the rest of them and this is what it says. So the two left and went into the city always as Jesus had told them and they prepared the Passover meal in the upper room. That evening Jesus and the twelve arrived and went into the upper room, and each reclined around the table, leaning upon an elbow as he ate. It, it's, it's interesting, if you're familiar with the, the picture of the Last Supper, it, it, everybody's sitting at a regular full height table, and Jesus is in the middle, and all the characters are looking down t towards Jesus. But that wasn't, that wasn't the way it, it, it happened. Typically, tables were very low. They were eight to 12 inches high, and the way you reclined at a table to eat was it's sort of like a picnic. If you were going to a picnic in a park and throw out a blanket, everybody, everybody would probably lay around the food um, with, with one elbow on the ground, and that's, that's the way they would eat. So that's, that's the setting. But, but there was a table. There was a table in the room. And, and it goes on to say, as they, as they ate at the table, Jesus took bread, offered a blessing, and broke it. He handed the pieces to his disciples. And this is what he says. He says, take this bread and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup of wine, and when he had given thanks for it, he passed it to them, and they all drank from it. And Jesus said, this is my blood, a covenant poured out on behalf of many. Truly, I will never taste the fruit of the vine again until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so we have, we, we have this setup. Where, where Jesus is bringing the disciples to the, the Passover meal, but what he's doing is he's establishing, he's establishing a new covenant. He's establishing a break from the old covenant, which was celebrated as the Passover, and, and now what is being instituted is what, what we call today in the church. You might call it communion or the Lord's table or Eucharist. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you call it. Um, what's significant is that it's a new covenant. This is, this is a new deal um, that the disciples are going to be entering into. And, and, and so what happens is that as they're reclining at this table, um, Jesus, is just, Jesus is saying, in essence, I, I, don't, I don't want this anymore to be a mindless experience. In other words, don't come together and, and just participate in an experience um, that's sort of mechanical, and we talk about that on a regular basis around here. We talk about the fact that when, when Brett was talking about our giving and our generosity, what we're talking about is don't do it, you know, mindlessly. 
because of something that's expected or something that's automatic. Do it, do it mindfully because it really, is, it really is you in some fashion participating in worship. And so Jesus is doing the same thing. He's, he's saying, you know, I know we, we sometimes have a, we, we have this mindset, well, oh yes, a Passover, and, and we're, gonna go, we're gonna walk our way through the process, and we've forgotten, we've forgotten the significance of it or the meaning of it, but I'm gonna start this whole thing all, all, over, all over again, and it's gonna have an, a new meaning. It's gonna have a new significance. It's gonna be valuable in many ways to you. And so I, I thought I would take the, the acrostic table, which I love to use, you know, you know, acrostics and that kind of stuff, and, and sort of with respect to the bread and with respect to the cup, I mean, we know the bread represents Christ's body, and, and we know that the cup represents his blood sacrifice for us, but, but he does, um, in every respect, want us to be mindful of some things. And so, so I'm just going to, throw five things out there quickly that maybe we could be mindful of this morning as we participate in, in the bread and in the cup. And the first is that, is that the tea and table is together community meets at the table. Together, all of us, community, the church meets at the table. It's interesting that, that Jesus really talks about two primary ordinances in the church. He talks about the ordinance of baptism, and he talks about the ordinance of communion or the Lord's table. And th those are the two things that really he commands us to participate in. You know, baptism is a one-time experience, and communion is, is a repeated experience that's done to remember things that should be and are significant, you know, in our spiritual journey. And, and one of the things that should be significant in our spiritual journey is that together matters. Uh, Together matters as a church, together matters as a family, uh, together matters, you know, if you're part of a team, together just matters. And when you think about the two ordinances, I was, I was struck by that this week, as you think about the two ordinances of the church, baptism, um, when you're baptized, it's really sort of a one-on-one -on -one experience with you and God. It's one-on-one, it's, -on -one. it's, it's you standing in a tub of water, and, and it's you saying publicly, you know, in, a, in this visible picture that you're going public for Jesus, and you're gonna, you're rec you want to be recognized as someone who follows Jesus, and so you're baptized, and it's a picture of you understanding that your previous life, your, 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 your death to sin, and your resurrection in, into a new life, and it's just you. It's just you. If you've been to communions here at the Rock, you know, we set up a, a communion pool and people get in and it's, you know, it's, it's about their name and it's about them going public and it's just them alone standing together by themselves. And, and when it comes to communion, we move from the baptism one-on-one -on -one with God to a communion that's a community with God the community uh, called the church. And, and when the community comes together as the church, then, then we have some responsibilities. We, we are responsible as a community to do some things uh, for the benefit of others. Um, one of my favorite verses comes from Hebrews chapter 10. And, and this is the writer of the Hebrews. These are called the... the if, if you've been around the church for a long time, and I don't mean to be churchy about anything, but these are called the lettuce verses, all right? The lettuce verses say, let us consider how we can s stir up one another to love. Let us help one another to do good works, and let us not give up meeting together, 
Some are in the habit of doing this. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope. Let us then even more do this even more as we see the return, Christ's return approaching. And, and what's, what's interesting is, you know, sometimes I like to pick out words that just kind of that just kind of strike me, and, and the, word that, the word used there for uh, stir up or spur on to one another. You know, when, when we come together, Christ is saying um, in, in this communion experience, in this together experience, we should be prodding one another. It really means to stir up, to prod, to poke, to get someone's attention, to get them off the dime, to move them down the road a little bit. And one of the things that might, might sometimes be lacking in the churches is, is the fact that we don't prod each other enough. You know what I'm saying? We don't poke each other enough to be here. And, and what happens is, is that he, he says even in here, some are in the habit of, of doing this. What, doing what? Some are in the habit of not, not meeting. You know, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, on the average, we may have a couple hundred, two and a, two and a quarter people in the services on a Sunday, um, but that's not all the people that call the rock home. The average attendance per Sunday per person that calls the church home is 1.25. They're, they're on the average here, 1.25 Sundays uh, per month. You know, that, that's, that's not a lot. Um, and, and so if the whole church showed up on a Sunday... We'd have to go to two services right away. And, and so what happens is, is I, think that there's a, I think there's a responsibility that we have as a church to poke one another, to prod one another, to stir up one another, to say, hey, I'm going to be there Sunday, you be there Sunday, and by the way, you tell someone else to be there on Sunday because this is a meaningful experience. This is a place where, where I can grow. This is a place where I can be encouraged. This is a place where I can be connected with other people that really actually do care about me. They might encourage me in life and give me words of hope and we might actually help one another and and as we go into this season of the year that that's what is so important about you know the bread and the cup it it, we should be reminded we should be mindful of together y'all know that (laughs) i'm not a huge social media fan um now, don't misunderstand me. Social media is big in the church. It, it's big. The Rock is using social media a lot now to begin to literally poke people during the week to be here. I mean, the Facebook and emails and blasts and Instagrams and all that stuff is sent out. You know what we're doing? We're poking you. We're poking you to cause you to react and 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 be responsive in some way to being together as a church. I did a, a little bit more homework this week and, and found out that 90 minutes a day, 90 minutes a day we spend on these three platforms of social media, YouTube, Facebook, and Snapchat. We spend for, 40 minutes on YouTube, 35 on Facebook, and 25 on, on Snapchat. And, and I started thinking, what if, the, what, if the church, what if the church as an entity, you know, the organization, the church, the corporation, the church, stopped poking people, and the, and the people at the church started poking people? Are you following what I'm saying? In, in other words, it's, it's, not the, it's not someone at the rock office that's responsible for poking. It's you responsible for poking. And, and, and so I'm, I'm going to offer something mindful for us to think about, all right, to create more together. 
And, and that is in take 90 and 20. This is arts encouragement. Take 90 and 20. Take 90 minutes um, one day a week in the year 2020 and spend it here once a week. That, that would be about 360 minutes a, a month or 3.5% of the total minutes per week would be spent here. A and what would it do? It, it could potentially change your life. It could potentially change a relationship. It could potentially um, move you from not having an eternity to having an eternity. Wonderful things can happen when we do things together. Jesus talks also about the fact that there's acceptance involved at the table. Uh, what he does is he, he says to his disciples, go prepare a place where we can share the Passover. We'll sit down and we'll share a meal. And, and, and so the other thing we need to be mindful of on days like today is that acceptance by grace meets at the table. Um, and, and Jesus was um, a man full of grace. As a matter of fact, he invited someone to the table that was going to betray him. And in the process of doing that, what, what's happening is, is that he's saying that don't be afraid to come to the table. The table is not denied. The table is an open table. It's an open communion. It's, it's open and it's, and it's welcoming. Actually, the, the word in Romans 15, 7, it says, accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The, the, the accept there is really the word receive one another. The, the Greek translation means receive, and it, and it means receive because you initiate things, because you're proactive. In other words, if someone shows up, that's one thing, but, but Jesus is really talking about us being proactive and us going out and, and receiving other people. In other words, we take the initiative to make them feel connected. Don't wait till they take the initiative to make them feel connected you take the initiative to make them feel connected because that's what that's what jesus did jesus jesus said i want you to prepare a table for all of us because i'm not just simply tolerating you i'm not just simply putting up with you or i'm not gritting my teeth until my day is done with you kind of thing what he's saying is that he says i came to earth not for you to find me but i came to earth for me to find you because i'm an accepting because i'm an accepting example of God. And let's just talk turkey for a minute. You may not feel that way right now. You may not feel accepted in all the areas of your life. There may be a relational estrangement because there's been a lack of acceptance of you in some way. There may be work issues where you're not feeling accepted or embraced. There may be family issues where you're saying right now during this really changing time of the year that I don't, I don't feel accepted or embraced because because of a mistake I made or because of something I said or because of, a, be, be, because of something that went down in the family 
And now um, I feel like, you know, going into the holiday season, going into the holiday season, I, I might be just sort of kicked to the curb a little bit. And, and I'm saying it primarily because us individually, we have, the, we have sort of the responsibility to sort of mm, kind of comb the horizon a little bit and say, am, am, am I a person? Am I a person that's made someone feel like they're on the outside looking in? What do, what, maybe what do I do? What do I need to do this week to let that person know or those people know that doors open Conversations can continue, want to embrace you as family or want to do everything we can to try to put this thing back together um, because that's the example Jesus, Jesus gives us. Jesus says, you know, that we are to accept one another and more than that, we're, we're supposed to receive one another by actively, knowingly and willingly pursuing them to try to build a bridge to come back. And why, why would we do that? Why, you know, and, and, and I understand, I really do, I understand the deep hurt associated with, you know, taking the first step sometimes, making the first move, takes a big person, takes a lot of humility. Um, so, so why should we do it? And I, and I think it leads to the next point, which is the B, which is the B in table, uh, and, and that has to do with brokenness, you know, because brokenness meets at the table. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't meet Jesus on the way up. Anybody meet him on the way up? I didn't. I, I met him, um, <laughs> pardon me, Mike, but I met him at an ugly moment. How about you? I, I, didn't, I didn't meet him w when life was sparkling and clear and understood and, and formed and planned and working itself out marvelously. I, I, me I met him when it, life was the pits for a lot of different reasons. That's why accepting of acceptance of other people's brokenness is so important because that's why Jesus steps, stepped on earth. He, he came to accept us in our brokenness at, at the worst possible moment. Look, look at this verse from, from Romans. It says, but think about this. While we, were, while we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. Wasting our lives in sin. Powerful love in a tangible display. What was the tangible display? Huh. It's right here. The, ta the tangible display is, he said, you know, I'm going gi to give myself up. Uh, I'm going to give myself up for the benefit of the people that I came for. I'm, I'm going to die a, a sacrificial death on a cross 
as, as the perfect man, no sin in his life whatsoever, and I'm, I'm going to absorb all of God's wrath so that you can have all of his grace. I, 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 <laughs> I told you I'm the old guy around here. I, I remember building this when we were meeting over at Reed High School. Um, one, one of the things that we always talked about was the fact that um, when we had a building, the building wouldn't be filled with, you know, it wouldn't be filled with religious edifices or pictures or, you know, it, it, we just want to focus on one thing and we want to focus on, on the cross. So I said, you know, let's, let's just build a cross. And, and so I built this cross and, and put it together and, and, and brought it to Reed High School. Then we brought it over here. And, and I remember, <laughs> I remember distinctly that you should have taken this apart before you brought it in here because the sucker's really heavy. <laughs> and and there, was a, there was a part of me that, that maybe, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, you know, felt the, felt the weight of the cross on my own life. Because it's not only a heavy thing, it's a weighty thing. And it's weighty because, because it's something that someone else did for us, not at our best, but at our absolute worst. And that's something I think we need to be mindful of when we take the bread and we take the cup is, is that God in the form of Christ didn't come to deal with me other than at the very worst moment of your ugly behavior in all of life. That's why he came, to rescue us from that. You know, in the, in the, in the story that about Jesus and the disciples here, if, if we go to the next point, which is love, well, I think the thing that we need to be mindful of more than anything else is that love reigns at this table. Um, I, love this, I love this verse. There's no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. You celebrate our friendship if you obey this command. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, you celebrate me, you celebrate me when you love others. If you're not loving others, you're not celebrating who I am and what I've done. And I, I, I love I love this because when you when you begin to look at the when you begin to look at the Lord's Supper when you begin to look at the passage it says Jesus broke a piece of bread he broke bread and he gave it to the disciples um, and and in this particular verse there's no greater love than to give your life for your friends and when you begin to look at that phrase give your life it really literally means to set aside or to put down or here's mine. Break off a chunk. B-O-A-C. Break off a chunk of your life. See, when, when we begin to break off a chunk of our life for other people, then what we're doing is we're celebrating our friendship with Christ. And, and when, when Jesus is talking about love reigns at the table, what he's saying is that 
I'm, I'm breaking apart my life. I'm breaking, I'm going to be completely broken. It's the greatest demonstration of love that I can put together. And, and now he's saying, are you willing to break off a chunk of your life? Break, break off a chunk in, in some fashion that shows that you're celebrating who he is. And maybe some things to be mindful of this week and as we go into the season is how, how big of a piece of your life, how, how big of a chunk of your life are you willing to break off to demonstrate who Christ is to other people? I know it's a busy season and, and sometimes we have to consciously and knowingly and willingly sit down and say, I'm gonna break off a chunk of time and I'm gonna break off this massive chunk of time and I'm gonna devote it to this person or to this thing and I'm gonna make sure that I follow it through, not just during this break off the chunk of life season from Thanksgiving until New Year's, but for the whole rest of the next 12 months. Are you willing to break off a chunk of your life? Are you willing to break off a chunk of resources to put towards something that's bigger than you are because it will make a difference in someone's life or in an entity that helps other folks down the road and long term? Are you willing to break off a chunk of your skills and abilities in some way to, to make the church a better place or to make you know, another organization a better place where people can be helped and rescued and served and taken care of in some fashion. And what's interesting about breaking off a chunk of your life is that it never, ever feels comfortable. It always hurts a little bit, and it's supposed to. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be, be mindful that love reigns at the table and love is not a feeling. Love is me demonstrating that I'm willing to give all of my life. Will you just break off a chunk of yours? Why? Well, I think it's the last point. Everyone has a place at the table. Everyone needs to know that there's a place at the table for them. Everyone needs to know. Jesus was very specific about who was supposed to come. And, and in the process, he wanted this to continue on for, for everyone. He says, in, in John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Maybe a decade ago, um, a couple of daughters came to me and said that their mom had, had passed away. Um, and it was a premature passing. And I had a loose relationship with the family. And they asked me to do her memorial service or funeral. And, and I said I, that, that I would do that, knowing all along that their extended family had, was deeply embedded in a works-based faith. And, and neither their mom nor them participated in this particular faith, uh, so they asked me to do the services for their mom. And I said, okay, that, let's, let's do this. So we sat down and we, we talked about, you know, what, what is it that you want to remember about your mom? What, is, what are the things that are salient that you want people to know about? And, and so we talked through all of those things and got to the day of the funeral. And... The funeral was largely attended by the works-based faith crowd. 
and at one point in the funeral, the brother of the deceased stood up and said, I believe in my heart that my sister died an apostate to the faith and will never find eternity at a family memorial. <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh. Now I have two rules, two rules if I do a funeral or, or a memorial. And they're not arrogant rules at all. The first rule is, if you ask me to do your memorial or funeral, I'll talk about Jesus. The second rule is, I always go last. And so after the brother said that, I stood up and said, I want you to know John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And nobody, nobody makes that decision on behalf of another individual. Nobody talked to me after the memorial. But this is it. Jesus is so wildly inclusive that he makes almost everybody uncomfortable who thinks they can work their way to God. And that's what I love about this place. This place called The Rock. This place where everyone is entitled and be can become a children of God, child of God because they believe in the transaction of the cross that Jesus died a sacrificial death on behalf of a sinner like me so that I could have life through grace because of his acceptance. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to share in the bread and we're going to share in the cup. And so what you're saying by coming down is that, is that you believe that, that you had at one time this personal transaction um, with, with God through Jesus. You're going to take a piece of bread because you think that piece of bread is a picture, it's a symbol, it's a representation uh, of Jesus' body, which was sacrificed uh, in place of yours. He, he took all of, all of death upon himself so that we could have life. And, and you're going to take the cup because the cup represents 
perfection is one standard that God has, but the other thing is, is that perfection had to be sacrificed. So perfection had to shed its blood. It had to lose its life so that we could gain it. And so when you take the bread and when you take the cup, you're saying, I, I believe in the transaction of the cross, that, it, that it, it's a reality that takes place between me and a Heavenly Father only. Nobody else decides. Nobody else can determine whether or not I'm worthy to come down and, and pick it up and take it. it th that's, it's between you and the one who is filled with grace and filled with love and filled with hope for a future for you. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to just ask you to stand for just a second. Heavenly Father, we... You know, we're, we're complicated. You know that. And even sometimes standing up like this and, and trying to determine whether I should or shouldn't come down and take a bread and take a, a cup, it, we might struggle with that. Because we can think of all kinds of things that might hold us back things from our past, things other people might think, thoughts that we've had, behaviors that we've participated in. And what you tell us is that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that you purify us from all unrighteousness. And so that, that's why this is an inclusionary experience. You can right now just take all your stuff and confess it. Take this cup, take the bread, and return to your seat. And we'll share in it together at the table like Jesus asked us to do it. And we just ask these things in your son's glorious name. Amen. Each section, if you would just move out this way, come down the aisle and pick up the bread and the cup and return to your seat. Every, every area, do it in the same fashion. Come out this way, come down and pick up the elements and return to your seat. For those of you that may not be able to make it down here, we have some great folks that would love to serve you. If you just raise your hand, raise your hand nice and high, and we'll make sure that the elements get to you as well in a couple of minutes. We're going to all stand and sing together. We're going to sing a, a song called Waymaker. And before we get to it, I want to talk a little bit about the way things were done. As you know from the passage that we read, Jesus gathered his disciples and symbolically in a picture he broke bread and, and, and distributed it to his disciples and said, um, take, eat this bread. It's my body, 
for which is given for you. See, the, the way to God is, is through him. And what you're saying by taking this piece of bread is that I believe there was a Jesus. I believe that he came for the reason that he said he came, to give himself as a sacrifice for many, the many who would believe. And, and by doing so, I want you to know that there's no power in the bread. It's just it's a little bit of dough and a little bit of water and maybe some sugar and no yeast, which was a picture of sin. And so when you're, when you're taking this, you're saying, I, I believe in the body that was broken and given for me so that I could have life and life above the ordinary. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and ask that we take it in full understanding that it's a picture of a reality that's already happened and I want to remember it. I want to be mindful of it as I walk through life. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for this bread. You can all eat. At the same sitting, Jesus said, I'm going to pass a cup around, and this cup is the new covenant. It, it, represents, it represents my blood. See, they, cel- they celebrated the Passover because it was, it was an annual celebration where animals were sacrificed um, annually over and over again to cover sin. That was literally the purpose, was the blood of animals and, and perfect animals was placed on the altar and, and everybody sacrificed an animal to cover their sin until we can do this again the next year. And Jesus said, all that's off. He, he came as the perfect lamb, the lamb of God who would be sacrificed once for all, not to cover sin, but to permanently eradicate it and remove it forever as being something that can be held against you in life. And so what you're saying by taking this cup is that you believe that Jesus' blood sacrificed doesn't just cover your sin, but it wipes it out and makes you a child of God who is able to stand in front of God with full standing as an heir to the kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup and what it represents, and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Go ahead and drink the cup. If you'd stand with us this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something that... I don't think I've ever asked before. But don't let the words of this song just kind of roll out of your mouth. Sing it. Belt it. 
be mindful of what it says and sing it to his glory to the optimum level that you can because it's one of the best ways to worship.